Tonight we want to continue our look at some of these familiar stories from the Old Testament and try to draw lessons from them. And we want to look tonight in 2 Kings chapter 5 at the story of a man named Naaman. We read there in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Now I want you to picture the scene here. Go back in your mind's eye, if you can, to the ninth century BC, and go from Palestine, where most of our stories in scripture are set, to the north and to the east, although I guess for you that's reversed, the north and to the east, to the land of Syria, you come to an ancient city called Damascus, where the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, ruled. Damascus was an oasis in a place that desperately needed an oasis. It's arguably the oldest continuously inhabited city in the entire world. There are some other places that lay claim to that, but. We have good evidence that Damascus has been inhabited since at least about 3000 BC. It's said that when Muhammad, the founder of Islam, came into the valley where Damascus lies, he came over the hills in the south and he saw the city for the first time. He'd never been into it. And he said, man should only enter paradise once. And he turned around and he left. Never entered into Damascus. I find that a strange reaction, <laughs> but I do want us to get an idea of the beauty and the significance of the city of Damascus and of the ancient kingdom of Syria. In our story, Naaman was second in Syria, second in power only to Ben-Hadad the king. He was captain of the entire army, and through his efforts, Syria had become the dominant power in the region. And because he'd won many battles for his country, Naaman was uh, powerful. Naaman was famous. But not only was he a great man, he was, as it says here, in high favor. The, King's, uh, the King James Version says that he was honorable. That means he was, he was highly esteemed. He was looked upon favorably. His soldiers, his servants, they all had respect for him. Even more significant than that, we read that the Lord had given victory to Syria by him. So he was blessed by God. He was used by God. All of that as well as being great and honorable. He's described further as a mighty man of valor. He was courageous. He was strong. All in all, he was the ideal of what you would want in a leader what everyone should aspire to be, all these wonderful characteristics. And we might well imagine that if Naaman lived in our day and time, that he would be, I don't know, president of a bank at least, or, or governor of some state, or uh, sheriff of Liberty County, or something like that. I'll let that one sink in, okay. <laughs> 
You might think that Naaman had everything that a person could possibly want. But of course, I didn't read the full sentence that opens our story. We have not a period, but a comma after all of that. And it says five words then. But he was a leper. All of these great and wonderful qualities now melt away into nothing. And the fact that he was courageous, he was strong, he was honorable, he was a great general, he was highly esteemed by his men and by the king, even that God had used him to accomplish great victories, all of that hollow now. It's vain. It's worthless because of this terrible disease. And frankly, because we have the ability of the imagery back here, I looked up pictures of lepers to try to demonstrate it to you, and I found them so gruesome that I didn't want to put them up here for anybody to see. It's a terrible disease. You all know that it afflicts the, the, the skin, it causes these lesions, it causes all sorts of difficulties, and in ancient times in particular, he would have been a pariah, he would have been ostracized, cast out of the community, and probably he would die before too long. Uh, unlike what we typically think, leprosy doesn't actually cause your uh, appendages to rot off, but what happens is it dulls the nerves so much that you can be injured, cut yourself, burn yourself, something like that, and you don't even notice. And then you're likely to get other infections, and you do die. He is a leper. He's doomed. And that's the beginning of really one of the most interesting, brief little episodes in all of the Old Testament. The second sentence, maybe you've never noticed this one before, but I think this one is no less interesting. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. We don't know exactly how old this girl was, she was still young enough that she's called here a little girl. Some translations say a little maiden. But on the other hand, she was old enough that she was able to be useful to Naaman's wife. So we might imagine that she's somewhere between 10 and 13 years old. She's junior high school age. And even though she's of that age, so young, she still plays a remarkable role in this story. Now this girl has been snatched from her home. Maybe she had even seen her parents put to death. We don't know. And now she finds herself in this very difficult but very important position. She's in a distant land, far from her home, without her family, exposed to new customs and a new language she wasn't familiar with. And in spite of all these difficulties, her reaction to Naaman's situation is amazingly compassionate. You would expect there to be bitterness, hatred, resentment. I mean, these are her conquerors. These are her captors. You might think that she would feel, well, he's just getting what he deserved. And yet there's compassion. There's pity. She has sympathy for this captain of the army that has made her a slave something to admire in this young girl. She didn't feel any of that bitterness, but instead a desire to help. 
That's something that no doubt grew out of her faith in God and her knowledge about God's man, Elisha, the prophet. That tells us something there. We don't know anything else about her, but it tells us something about her home life, her family life, the type of parents that she had who instilled in her this great faith in God. She'd been taught about it, and that memory lingered on. And so one day, the girl's talking to her mistress, and she says, I wish that my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Well, Naaman's wife went and told Naaman about what the girl said. And Naaman then went in, and he told the king all about it. And, of course, the king was about to lose, really, his right-hand man probably his most valuable subject, so he was all interested in this report. And he gave Naaman permission to go down to Samaria. Verse number 5, the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And Naaman himself, to his credit, was willing to go and see the prophet Elisha. You know, it's not easy to take a long journey like that when you're sick. We've got a lot of people I know in, in this congregation dealing with illnesses right now. And even today when you can get and drive in your car somewhere, or if you're seriously injured and, or seriously ill, they'll take you in an ambulance or in a helicopter. That's obviously not an easy thing. But imagine here he has to get in a chariot and be jostled around the plains and over the hills on these long, seemingly endless miles all the way down to Israel this little insignificant town called Jezreel. So Naaman placed a great deal of confidence in the word of this little girl. I think that's a great compliment to her, and that reminds us that no matter how young you are, you can still make a big difference. She's really the catalyst, this little girl, for this whole story. Well, we see the king sends a, his letter, and he sends a, a sizable gift. The record says here that he departed, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. We don't know what those mean in modern terms, right? So we're going to try to translate them here. Uh, a talent weighs about 75 pounds, and a shekel is a unit of weight, equivalent to about 11 grams. Now, you can do the math in your head if you want, but I, I went ahead and did this all in advance for you. Uh, in other words, we've got here 750 pounds of silver, and we have 6,600 grams, that's about 14 and a half pounds of gold. You go plug those numbers in like I did this week to find the most current exchange rates. That's about $200,000 in silver and $280,000 in gold. Half a million dollars in precious metals the king sent with him. And that doesn't even get to the 10 changes of clothes, which I imagine modern terms were probably not like shorts and t-shirts from Old Navy, but probably more like suits that you go pick up at uh, Neiman Marcus or something like that. All of these precious gifts along with him. And after a while, Naaman, because nothing's too good for Naaman, he's captain of the king's host, he has to be healed. He pulls up to the palace there in Israel and he has this letter from Ben-Hadad and the letter to Jehoram says, I'm sending my servant, my general Naaman to you, please cure him of his leprosy. 
Jehoram gets that. He doesn't have any idea what this is all about. You know, as he says there, am I a God that I can heal this man and make him alive? Jehoram doesn't know anything about how to, to cure leprosy. And so then he thinks this must be some sort of trap here that, you know, what's going on? I'll tell you what, he's trying to pick a fight with me. He wants some cause of a quarrel here so that we can go to war. That's what's going on. Well, the prophet Elisha, God's man, hears about all of this. He hears about the king's anger. And he sends a message to him. He says, don't be angry. Send the man to me. And I will show him that there is a true prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes with all of this great retinue, the horses and the chariots and all of these gifts here, to the door of the house of the prophet Elisha. And you can see the, the contrast here between all of these servants and Elisha's humble house. And you see it further in that Naaman expected him to come out and do some great thing, something really impressive. But that's not God's way. Instead, Elisha doesn't even come out, you remember. <laughs> Elisha sent a messenger to him, verse 10, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. That's all. Just go down to the Jordan, dip yourself in it seven times, you'll be clean. Now I put... A picture up here it should be coming up here in a moment of the Jordan River yeah there you go doesn't that look inviting <laughs> the Jordan is a nasty muddy river you wouldn't even want your bath to look like that after you were done uh, let alone before you're going to dip into it so do you think that a man like Naaman was happy to hear that <laughs> no absolutely not to expect a man like that to go into dip in that nasty muddy water that was too much for him. And so it says in verse number 11, he was angry. He went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That water was disgusting, unfit. It paled in comparison to the waters back in his homeland. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. You see, Naaman, because he had all of these great qualities, he was a proud man. And his pride welled up within him here. And it almost destroyed the one and only chance he had at life. But then a bold servant speaks up. He says to him in verse 13, my father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? It's a wise and courageous servant. And he points out to him, this is a simple thing. And he's made this great promise, wash and be clean. Why don't you go do it? And Naaman, to his credit here, proves that all of those wonderful virtues that we had characterizing him earlier, that he's worthy of those. He humbled himself. He swallowed his pride. And it says, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, 
and he was clean. You can guess what happened next. He hurried from the Jordan back to Jezreel. He wasn't going to see the king this time. He was going to see Elisha. But it's actually not so much Elisha himself that he was concerned with. He was thinking not of the prophet, but of God. And he says in verse 15, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Why is this story important to us? There are a number of lessons we could draw from it in different ways. The one thing I want us to think about tonight, none of us, thank God, is likely to get leprosy. Not in this day and age. But we all face our own particular difficulties, our struggles, our trials, our problems. And it seems like when we get into those situations that we're willing to try almost anything. Anything except what God tells us to do. The one place that we should look is the place that we're least likely to, a place that we don't want to, in fact. We're like Naaman. With all of his great virtues, his accomplishments, his accolades, we become proud, we become full of ourselves, and we think that I can figure out the answer, I can sort this out, I can get myself out of this. He was too proud to humble himself and just submit to God. How often are we like that too? God is the place we should go. He has the answer. If we'll only look to Him. So I want to encourage us tonight. Let's not think ourselves too wise, too powerful, too great. Let's not trust in our own wits and our own wisdom. Let's be willing to humble ourselves and to submit humbly, obediently to whatever God requires of us. Maybe you're here this evening and you haven't been willing to do that. Maybe there's some sin in your life because you've lived in pride and you haven't been willing to humble yourself before God. If that's the case, if we can help you in any way this evening, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to make your need known now while we stand and sing.